0: Um, I have um, what I believe is a really exciting truth today that I want to share with you. But you need to put your seatbelts on because we're going to go we're going to go down a little deep, and maybe in some territory you haven't been before. But you know when you when you hear the word prophetic, probably a couple things come to your mind. One could be foretelling a future. That's prophetic. You could also hear prophetic in that it's a statement of truth, like a prophet would give a word. Um, What we're going to talk about today is a fulfillment of a prophecy that is found in the Word of God is now finding fulfillment in the last two weeks. Now, let me kind of put it in perspective. In 1948, when Israel became a nation, the prophetic clock began to tick. And what I mean by that is, all of a sudden, things begin to transform. In Isaiah chapter 66, the Bible speaks about, can a nation be born in a day? And it was talking about the rebirth of Israel. So Israel has not technically been a nation since 692 BC, when it was invaded by Babylon, and it was divided. So for 2,700 years, Israel has not been a nation. So when you come to 70 AD... Now, can you tell I like history? When you come to 70 A.D., Titus, the Roman ruler, came in and he destroyed the temple of the Jews. So the Jews have not sacrificed since 70 A.D. So that's almost 2,000 years. They've had no temple. One of the things we know from our study of Scripture is that there will be a rebuilt temple called the Third Temple. We know that from Uh, several sources in Scripture. We're going to look at some of that today. So if they're going to have a rebuilt temple, then you have to have all the ingredients, all the furniture, all the furnishings, everything laid out according to Old Testament Scriptures. All right? And so what you need to know is that for the last 50 years, a group of very Orthodox rabbis have been working in this vision of the rebuilding of the temple. And last week, another big item came. In fact, it could very well be the very last item before the temple can be built. So with that introduction, I want to take you through what we've seen in the news and then what we're going to see in Scripture. So I grabbed three of the headlines. There were many, but three of the headlines that speak about this fulfillment of the red heifer. Now, you ask me, you say, what is a red heifer? Well, it's a calf that's never given birth. It's under three years old. It's completely red with no white, gray, black, or any other color hair. Completely red. Even the hooves are red. It's an anomaly of nature. In fact, it has not existed in society since the second temple in 70 AD until two weeks ago. Now, you're going to see the significance of it. Let me read you through some of the headlines. Here's the first one. Texas red heifers arrive, stirs prophetic excitement in Israel. Now, let me give you a little, little spoiler alert here. So I'm going I'm to tell you a little bit about it. So what would happen is they would sacrifice the red heifer, this was according to the plan of God, for the sin of the people. It was a picture of what Christ would do when He was sacrificed, just like the lamb is also a picture of His death for our sin. So when the re- when the heifer was sacrificed, the ashes were mixed with water, and that was considered how the priests were purified. So without this purifying water, the, you could not have sacrificial uh, worship in the temple again, because you couldn't purify the priests. So second headline. Red heifers arrive in Israel in preparation for the third temple. So you see what's happening in Israel. You may not be aware of it, but they are very aware of what's happening and the significance of this. Third headline. Does the arrival of the five red heifers in Israel signal third temple in times? question mark? What's amazing is that it was a Texas rancher who was breeding cattle, and all of a sudden he realized, I think I have a red heifer. Contacted the Jewish rabbis, they flew over, they examined him, they put him in isolation, and sure enough, confirmed that the red heifer has reappeared on planet Earth. Now, you see the significance of that is it, it has to do with prophetically what's happening in Scripture, So the wonderful thing about the Bible is there's about 25% of the Old Testament is prophetic. About 26% of the New Testament is prophetic. That means it's telling you something that's coming. When Jesus came in his first coming, he fulfilled over 100 prophecies of the Old Testament. And we've seen multiple prophecies fulfilled over and over again in Scripture. So I want to give you a couple of prophetic truths, and we could, we could literally spend a day on this, but we won't because you're hungry. <laughs> but here's the first prophetic truth. Israel will return to the land. You say, well, pastor, hasn't that happened? Yes, but remember, it has not happened until 1948. Here's a scripture found in Isaiah chapter 11, 12. It's just one of many. Remember, Isaiah the prophet, he wrote in 700 BC, so he wrote 700 years ago, and this is what he said. He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather the dispersed from Judah from the four corners of the earth. So when Israel became a nation in 1948, there began to be this great migration of Jews all across the world. And in 1951, Israel established a law. It's called the Law of Return. That means a Jew living anywhere in the world can come back and have citizenship in the land of Israel. They reached so far, they reached down into the south of Ethiopia where there was a large Jewish population and they airlifted them in to the land of Israel in four different increments. And we see that that's happening from the north up in Russia. And Russia didn't know that they were fulfilling prophecy in 1972 when they expelled the Jews. They said, we want all the Jews out of the Soviet Union. But what happened was it was fulfilling a scripture where God said, out of the north I will draw my people. Out of the land of Ethiopia I will draw my people. These are all prophetic scriptures. So God was regathering people in the land of Israel. For the first time, the Hebrew tongue is now the official language of Israel. The shekel is the official language currency of Israel. These are things that have not existed for 2,000 years. And you see that there's some amazing things happening here. So the second prophetic truth is this one. The Jewish temple will be rebuilt. And I'm going to give you one scripture. This was found in the book of Revelation. Remember, Revelation is looking into the future. And in this particular section, it's during a time called the tribulation on planet earth. And it's where this, uh, this figure, this biblical figure called the Antichrist is now, is now basically making a promise of peace on the earth. He's a single ruler, a one world government. And uh, one of the things he allows the Jews to do is rebuild a temple. Now we don't know when the rebuilding will start. We know now from what I'm gonna tell you today that the sacrificial system could start tomorrow. Now think about that. It could start tomorrow without a temple. You don't have to have a temple to reinstate the sacrificial system in Israel. So here's here's what it says in Revelation 11.1. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. So we know it exists right here in the book of Revelation in a future moment in time. But what you may not know is there's a group called the Temple Faithful. These are the Orthodox Jews. And for the last 50 years, they have been meticulously putting together all the furnishings of the temple according to the Torah. So here's what's in place right now. All the instruments, the temple instruments, are finished and complete. They're built. They're ready to go. All the furnishings, all the furnishings, that means the table of showbread, the menorah, all of those things are all in place, even the Ark of the Covenant. The building blueprints are done. In fact, you can Google sometime. I would have shown you the video, but it's about eight minutes long. But it shows you all the architectural rendering of the new temple in Jerusalem. It's completely done. It's ready to build. Another thing, and it could not have been possible until this day, 500 plus priests genetically identified from the tribe of Levi have been trained in temple service. Do you realize with the the advancement of DNA... For the first time, they couldn't go back now and track and determine who was from the tribe of Levi, which was the priestly tribe. First time ever. A high priest has been appointed by the Sanhedrin. Only one thing remained has now occurred, the return of the red heifer. Let me take you through some of the rabbis, the writings of the rabbis, Rabbi Richmond said, building a holy temple and worshiping in it are not permitted by God without the restoration of ceremonial purity, which is, the only po- is only possible with the ashes of the red heifer mixed with the purification water necessary for restoring ritual purity or ceremonial cleanliness. He went on to say, there is a tradition But all throughout history there were nine perfect red heifers that were used for the cleansing and the purification. And that appearance of the tenth red heifer is associated with the advent of the Messianic era and the rebuilding of the temple. In other words, here's what he's saying. If the red heifer, and he wrote this prior to the red heifers being discovered, if the red heifer indeed becomes that sacrificial animal, it will be the tenth red heifer. Does the weight of that grab you yet? I mean, you are living on the doorstep of the return of Christ. Literally on the return of Christ. You say, when is it, Pastor? I don't know. Jesus said we can't know the day or the time. But we can read the signs and the seasons he told us. Signs and seasons are telling us something. We've gone through a a strange period of time over the last two years that no one could have predicted. No one could have really put down on a map and said, this is what's going to happen in the world. And yet, at the same time, things have been happening in the prophetic world that haven't been slowed down a bit. You see, what you have to remember is when your world feels like it's in turmoil, it's not because you have the Lord of the universe in charge of your life. When you, have a, when you have a moment where you want to get down, get depressed, get discouraged about world events, don't. You see, nothing catches God by surprise, and God always protects the remnant of his people. Yeah, whether, whether it was Moses being rescued from, uh, from Pharaoh and then elevating him to, to a place of prominence within Egypt, whether it's Noah and his family being saved in an ark whether it's Israel in the wilderness being preserved for 40 years, or whether it's you and God's hand is on you. And one of the things you can do is walk in confidence and in faith and authority because God is your God. And to walk any less is just exercise no faith. You see, you have to understand that, well, what, what about this? What, don't worry about that. Do you think this is the first time bad things have been happening in the world? I mean, Read history. There have been a lot of bad things happen in the world. It doesn't mean that you're not protected or God's people weren't protected in those times. Maimonimus wrote this, another Jewish wise man. He said, from the time of Moses until the destruction of the seventh temple, only nine red heifers have been used to prepare the purifying waters. The 10th red heifer was found and was sacrificed, will be found when the King Messiah is ready to appear. So you see, the Jews are looking for the Messiah. We say we found him. But they're looking, they're saying, where is this, where this, this Messiah? When's he going to come? And they're looking, and now they're making all this preparation to get everything ready for the Messiah. Oh, he's coming again. But he's coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. He's coming with the shout of the trumpet. He's coming when the scrolls, the heavens roll up like a scroll, and with the shout of the archangel, he comes, and he declares himself to be Lord of Lord and King of Kings, and all the kingdoms of the earth will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. That day is coming. In Numbers chapter 19 and verse 2, it says, this is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, speak to the children of Israel that they bring you a red heifer without blemish in which there is no defect and which a yoke has never come. So this was the commandment that was given. Some Jewish scholars say that the reason that the commandment and the red heifer does not appear in the book of Exodus is because it, it occurred after the golden calf. Now, some of you may not know the golden calf, but Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments. When he came down, the people had fallen into false worship, and they had, they had made an image like a calf, and they were worshiping the calf. And they brought chaos into the land of of Israel, into the people of God. And God says, uh, according to some rabbis, that he instituted the the red heifer to undo the chaos and to bring people back to purity and holiness unto the Lord. So interesting. Now, I realize for some of you are going, I don't know what this guy's talking about. You may have to re-listen to it, but I'm going to try to make it as clear as I can. So what's the significance of it? Well, in Ezekiel 36, he says, I will take you from among the nations. Now, he's talking about Israel. And I will gather you out of all countries, and I will bring you into your own land. See, here's another scripture, that fulfillment. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. Now, when you think about clean water, what do you think about? You say, well, I've got this little filter on my house, and I get pure water. Or I go down to the store and I get pure water. Pure water, he's talking about there, was water that was intermixed with the ashes of the red heifer. That's the only way, that's the only purity you could have from God from ceremonial uncleanliness. He said, I will sprinkle you clean with water on you, and you shall be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and all your idols. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Do you know what happened when you came to faith in Jesus Christ? You were sprinkled clean with living water. Everything that was an idol in your life was put aside that you might serve the living God. And when you try to fall back into idols, you'll feel something called conviction. That's what Christians get when they do wrong, they don't get guilt. Guilt is not from God. It's from your neighbor, your mother, and somebody else. But it isn't from God, amen? All right, so conviction moves you away from idols, in this case, into the worship of the true and the living God. He says here, I will put a new spirit in you. So what happens? You're sprinkled clean with the word, with the blood, with the water of the word, and God puts a new spirit in you. That's the Holy Spirit. So, see, conversion is your repentance, turning away from evil, turning to God, being cleansed, and his spirit coming to live in, within you. So the explanation of your life is not you, but his spirit. You see, you can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. If any man have not the spirit, the Bible says he is none of his. You have to have the Holy Spirit. All who are led by the spirit, these are the sons of God. He goes on to say, and I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and keep my judgments to do them. Do you realize that when the spirit of God comes in you, doing the things of God becomes easy? Without the spirit of God, they're impossible. You're, re- you're, just, you're reduced to human goodness instead of divine holiness. Zechariah chapter 13 and verse one. In that day, a fountain shall be opened for the house of David, for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for the sin and for uncleanliness. You know what the fountain is? It's the fountain of living water. You know when Jesus was crucified, do you remember what the Roman centurion did? He came with a spear and he lunged it into the heart of Jesus. Do you remember that? And you remember what scripture says, flowed down blood and water, living water, pure water. When the red heifer's body was completely burned, we read from the rabbis, its ashes turned white and mixed with pure water. It was called living water. Only then was the sprinkled on the people to purify them from the contamination of the contact with the dead and with sin. Do you know that when you are sprinkled clean with the blood of the Lamb of God, you are clean indeed. Something you may not know It doesn't exist in Israel right now. It was destroyed. It was destroyed in Jerusalem, along with the temple and everything else that was really aligned up with that except for the wailing wall. But there was a bridge that led from the temple up to the Garden of Gethsemane. And guess what it was called? It was called the Red Heifer Bridge. I'm gonna show you a picture. These are a couple of reenactment pictures. This would have been the Jewish temple. What it looked like in the time of Jesus. And that bridge that leads out from it is a bridge that leads from the temple all the way in to the Garden of Gethsemane. Below the Garden of Gethsemane was an altar where the red heifer was sacrificed. And when the high priest sacrificed the red heifer, he could look directly into the temple, into the Holy of Holies and was reminded that only by the shedding of blood is our sins forgiven. Living water had to be carried on this bridge to the place of the red heifer sacrifice and the red heifer altar was just below the Mount of Olives. Look at this next picture. This would have been Jerusalem. You see the bridge? You notice that air is allowed to flow through that bridge that's up here at the top. And that was because of purity. They, had to, they couldn't touch the ground because below that area are graves of Islamic soldiers who had fought against Jerusalem. And so they always kept distance from it. And if you'll go to the next slide. There you can see the bridge and how it would fall and it would lead right up to the place of Gethsemane. When Jesus was in Gethsemane, and he was crying out. He was crying out for this cup to pass. He said, yet not my will, but thy will be done. He realized that he was fulfilling not just the sacrificial lamb, but also the sacrifice of the red heifer. Because you see, right below that area you'd find is where Jesus was crucified. When Jesus, in John chapter 7 He said this, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Do you know what happens when you come to faith in Christ? Out of your heart, you become a well of living water. It's not about you. It's about him. It's about his spirit moving through you. You see, the Christian life isn't hard. It's impossible (laughs) without the spirit of God. You can't do what it says to do unless God does that in you and through you. That's why you want the, the explanation of your life not to be you. I hear people all the time, they want to classify Christians as, oh, he's a really good Christian. He's a good Christian. He's not so good. You know, he's a bum. But there's only two classifications in the Scripture of Christians. You're either spiritual or you're carnal. You're either walking with the Lord or you're not walking with God. You're in the flesh, you're in the spirit. You can't be both. So I ask you a question today. If you say, I'm a Christian, Pastor, are you a spiritual one or a carnal one? Are you walking with the spirit of God? Are you filled with the spirit of God? Are you still trying to straddle the fence and live out a life of carnality? Compromise here, compromise there. Make statements like, I know the Bible says that, but. You see, God wants to call us back to him. God wants the living water to flow through us. And God gives us these wonderful prophetic pictures so that we can understand more about how his, everything he does is perfect in his timing. God is never caught unaware. If you, even if you look at the details of your life, some of the things you say, why did that happen? Whenever I have one of those thoughts, I always go back and say, what is God trying to say or do in my life? Versus oh my or oh me, what is God trying to say or do? Maybe God's trying to get our attention about something. Maybe God's calling you into something. Truly, he's calling this church. Someone made a comment the other day, and they said, you know, we brought some friends here, but they said they were going to find another church because you guys are really serious about Christianity. Yeah? I think so reminds me of the story of the boys that were playing baseball, and one boy hit the ball way into the weeds. And they spent about an hour looking for the ball, and one bright young man on the team said, let's forget about the ball. Let's get on with baseball. That's like the church getting on without serious Christianity. When you're serious in your faith, you're going to see God do some things. You're going to see the favor on you. You're going to see the power in you. You're going to see the evidence of you. You're going you're to see miracles surround you on every corner. You're gonna walk in the power of the Spirit and in confidence. You're not gonna fear anything. You're not gonna fear evil because you've over already overcome evil in the Lamb that was slain at Calvary, buried, risen from the dead, sits at the right hand of the Father ever to make intercession for you. Every time Satan raises his voice against you, he say, it's under the blood, it's covered. You are redeemed by the Lamb of the living God. And we've got every reason to rejoice in this day. We've got every reason to give him praise to give him glory because he is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And all of heaven will rejoice and resound with the name of our God. And one day you're going to stand and one day you're gonna kneel and you're gonna give glory to God and say, great is the Lamb of God. And guess what you need to have on that day? You're gonna need to have on this day great courage because you're gonna get great glory on that day. So we're gonna sing this song, be of great courage. And when we sing it, I want you to sing with all your heart all your strength, all your might, because that's the way we're supposed to love God, amen? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength, all your soul, everything you've got, just love Jesus and let God take care of your problems, amen?